spiritual path, uh, or our mode of practice is called uh, path of truth, or search for truth, or search for realization. And uh, you know, maybe it's good to want to ask, well, is it worth searching for? Is it worth looking for? <laughs> what if the truth is miserable? <laughs> what if it's not convenient? So there's a certain faith that actually uh, knowing truth makes you feel good yeah. because uh, the sense of truthfulness is its own refuge, its own balance, you know. So just knowing, you know, even in kind of fairly mundane ways when one actually acknowledges and is fully honest about what was experiencing there's a sense of relief. You're not covering, you're not pushing against the reality, you've accepted something. So you need one is you know in, in one has done something wrong, one knows it's wrong, and you recognise it's wrong, and it's, you acknowledge, admit, accept that. There's not a sort of sense of of um, if it's really understood. There's not a sense of pressure and guilt, but a sense of relief. Of, it was just that I don't have to hide that, cover that, you know, and you relief from the pressure of of deceit, the pressure of guilt, the pressure of assumption. Yeah. We make assumptions. <clears throat> so when we just start to recognize that, that knowing truth actually uh, gives one a sense of, of freedom, freedom from the pressure of confusion or the pressure of having to hold on to something that isn't quite true. Uh, we wish it to be true, but it isn't that way. So when we own up, when we acknowledge, you know, life is like this, or my body is like this, or my friends are like that, or my mind is like this, this is some sense of touching the ground of reality, and we feel, yeah, okay, you know. You know, there's, there's, there's intellectual honesty, isn't there? And there's emotional honesty, which takes a little bit longer. You know, one can be intellectually recognizing, yes, I will die one day, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Sure, that's going to happen one day, but then you really emotionally accept it. Oh, you know. Um, separation from the loved is difficult enough to even, you know, think about, but to emotionally accept it takes a little more than just a, a flicker of the mind. To go in there and work through the resistances, the pangs, the longing, the wishing it could be another way, the assumptions, and so forth. So the quest to truth is often an uncomfortable one. And so we have to bear in mind that going through this rather uncomfortable process is, will bring us to a place of, of greater uh, strength and clarity, not just the kind of you know, dogged acceptance, but actually something greater and stronger and more equanimous and more brave and more fearless and brighter. Mm-hmm. So the quest for truth is also a, a quest towards wholeness, towards having no bits that we've left out, to having nothing that we've kind of shoved under the carpet that we haven't really accepted in our lives. Mm-hmm. So it's a quest towards wholeness and completion. Would you accept 
you know, this apparent experience of comings and goings and pains and joys and coming together and parting, you know, and the feelings that go along with that. Mm-hmm. So this requires both that determination also the practice because often our hearts are rather constricted in what they can accept. I'd like to be able to accept it, but, you know, really, I have a lot of difficulty being with that. Mm-hmm. So this sense that it actually requires sustained introspection, meditation, calming, reassurance, kindness, support, uh, company of others who are going through the same sort of experiences to, to actually get the heart to soften and yield. So he's paying attention, softening, coming out of the defense, out of the holding on, out of the assumptions, out of the, the narrowness of our perspectives into something wider and freer, and then including it all. So we're not bowed and shaken by experiences that happen to us, that come to us. And then when they're not bowed by them, we're not in them. We're not caught in them. And this is called freedom. So the quest for truth is also a quest for freedom. So in this we are paying attention. And as you pay attention, uh, give attention, then certain things become more clear. First, uh, it's quite difficult to pay attention. You know, when mind wants to find a convenient storyline to just float along in. You know, know, it's not a very pleasant storyline. You know, to actually just be awake rather than going to a a dream. Most when we sit here, you know, maybe for 45 minutes or so, who knows, but probably a good proportion of that would be in some dream or another. Occasionally we come up and wow. You know, where's that? Well, where have I been? Yeah. Somebody was saying to me yesterday, you know, they, they, their first meditation, that, well, their, their first meditation sitting for an hour, and he said, for, for, for a minute, I experienced something I hadn't experienced before. Yeah, so it's like 59 minutes of dream, <laughs> of, of Coronation Street, of football matches, of <laughs> what should and shouldn't be, you know. And then a minute of, oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Getting there, you know. To recognize that that minute was of another dimension is worth, worth pursuing. That there is this minute, there is this percentage. And that percentage, when we give attention to that and we enjoy that and we, we get the feeling of what it means, is worth lingering in and understanding how the causes and conditions that gave rise to that. One of these purely is that ability to pay attention and to keep the sense of reference or mindfulness. This famous word, mindfulness, the ability to bear something in mind so we're not just swinging out, going off into into the storylines. So bearing in mind the body, bearing in mind the breath, bearing in mind the rhythm of breathing, bearing in mind the energy of the breathing as it happens to us and paying attention to that so that 
some of those mental storylines, those emotional storylines, at least get uh, they're on a lead, they're on a leash. You know, they run out so far and say, hey, wait a minute, where's the breath right now? Don't get it back. So you get to sense just how much of one's life actually is, one's mental life is of this kind of on-flowing, dreamlike, um, mesmerizing nature. And then, but there also there's this possibility to come out of it, to wake up. Mm. And it's not a savage process, but it is a patient, steady process. Yeah? And the moment of waking up, as I've been saying, the moment you, hey, where am I? That's a precious moment. It's not something to blur over with being irritated that we've been drifting or caught up in this or that or the other. Why don't I ever get my act together? But just, wow, look at that. And in that, you kind of sense these kind of clouds, these moods softening and passing away. Watch them. You know, the the feeling, the emotion, the, the verbiage, the pictures, losing their intensity falling away. Oh, that's what it's like. And then maybe if some, then we settle back into this, the breath. So every time we do that, it's as if the potential, the energy of all that mind stuff is emptied back into, into, the, into awareness. Whereas if you, if you disconnect from it, as if you think, oh, you stop one mind wandering get back to the breath. You haven't actually come back to awareness, you've come back to reaction. You've come back to praise and blame. You've come back to, I'm not very good at this, I should be better. So you haven't come back to the real ground of truth. You've come back to another set of stories. I'm meditating, I should be meditating, I should have done this better by now. Another script. So you just move from one script to another script. What's it like to just, just stop the script, come out of the script and let it melt? With no should, um, you know, this is it, or this is not it. Just look at that. And then what's retained is this quality of, of awareness, which is not self it's not a moral statement, it's not an attainment, it's not a high ground, it's not a conquest. It's just like what's left when the clouds disappear. What's the space, what's the openness when the story fades? Quite normal, not personal, not something that you can hold on to, but something you can soften and widen and let go into something you can drop into, you might say. And how refreshing that is. How refreshing it is. And how humble it is that doesn't really claim anything. And it's free from pressure. Now, the... uh, the, uh, Storylines generally have some kind of push in them, don't they? There's a, there's a wind blowing, a wind of regret, a wind of, of wishing, a wind of, of agitation, a wind of, of uh, 
Something like the other, blowing, 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 blowing. What's it like when the wind drops? Nibbana, the, the wind blowing out, the ending of the blowing. So that's, you see, that, that, you know, this kind of highest aim in Buddhism really is just the blowing out of the wind, the wind stopping. And is that, you know, dull, sterile, or is it just uh, spacious, peaceful, quiet, open? Now, as much as there is that possibility, there's also the um, the landscape that we have to travel through, or you might say, the stories, the messages, the pressures, the drives, the assumptions that we have to allow to surface, be known, be held, be open to, wake up from. You can't wake up from them until they've they've actually come to you. So a lot of this practice is this sense of, of being able to meet the new feeling, the new impression, you know, the new peace, where that sense of this too will take me to truth. Now distortions are not actually obstacles to truth as long as we understand them for what they are. They are, in fact, uh, distortions and biases and assumptions are messengers or heralds of truth when we handle them in the right way. It's good to know because there's probably quite a lot of them. So we have all kinds of assumptions that we assumptions create pressures. Assumptions put some pressure on the mind. You know, we may assume that we, you know, Meditation is this or that or the other. That creates a certain pressure. Mm. We may assume we should be or are this or that or the other. That creates a certain pressure, a certain bias, a certain got to be, can't be, never will be, certain addition, isn't it, to the mind. We assume things like that we're going to live, live till tomorrow. Yeah? This assumption, isn't it? Now, if that, you know, so generally uh, one is recommended to, to, to challenge that every day. You might not live until tomorrow. Now, you know, this isn't to make one feel morbid and depressed, but it's a sense of taking away the pressure of that assumption. Because when that, you see, when that assumption is dropped... There's a feeling of, well, oh well, there's no, nothing to have to keep holding on to, nothing to have to build up and sustain, there's nothing to, you know, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, everybody dies, maybe it's going to happen today. Okay, right. And then, you know, what is really important right now? So it's a very good medicine. Hmm. We clear away the assumption, which you don't even realize is creating a pressure because we're so habituated to the pressure of time, to the next week and the next month and the next year and the saving up and the making sure this happens. And because of that, I better do that. You know, we, we live in that pressure. 
and it even has a strange feeling of making you feel alive because we assume that life is this kind of continual pressure you know, pushing, driving oh, it's fun, it's interesting, exciting, useful maybe <laughs> for a while <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it has those tones can be in it it's not necessarily negative pressure but it is always pushing pushing, tugging nagging yeah. when you see it like that when you just look at that energy of it even the, the, the assumption of a pleasant thing happening in the future wow great you know next week's my da 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 you know even that you're already being pushed away from where you are pushed out of that yeah. and of course it might not happen So these assumptions, assumptions of the future, it's called becoming. Becoming, one of the fundamental underlying fluxes or currents or asava, floods, would use various words to, to express this, but you can feel it as a kind of something that if you sit quiet in the present moment with no preoccupation, one of these things will start running, you know. You get something you should be doing, something you're going to do, something you're about to be, something you should be, something you couldn't be, something, some, you know. That's a flood, that's a push, that's a current. Another one is the, is the one of, uh, to do with um, the sense world. We see and we think that what we see is, we assume what we see is the reality of it. it isn't, it's, a, it's a visual impression. And, of course, it's a big one in terms of how we are seen or how we appear, isn't it? So there's a pressure to look nice or okay or decent or tidy or beautiful or, you know, acceptable or modest or whatever it is, continually pushing. We get used to that. Mm. See, kids, little kids don't have that. (laughs) They don't care. (laughs) But you quickly get into that. And then there's a concern that you might not, you know, have it all together. And the feeling that one day you won't have it together, you start kind of falling apart and so on. So there's a pressure there, the sense world. Let's hope it's warm enough, not cold. Food tastes good and not bad. It's hot enough, not cold. Not too hot, but hot enough. Enough flavouring, but not too spicy. Yeah. So the assumption that, that, there, that we can or should be able to arrive at this pleasant sense, sense experience is an assumption. Sometimes it is pleasant. Sometimes it's not pleasant. That's, it's like that, isn't it? Sometimes the body is physically uncomfortable, painful. So that the assumption that it should be pleasant, comfortable, agreeable, fitting, suitable, uh, is, creates stress. 
the mind you know, should be clear, sensible, balanced, harmonious, loving, bright. <laughs> do what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. So that when it doesn't, oh, dang it. Oh, you know, bad mood again. Can't remember. So we get this kind of friction. Energies. Sometimes you're just tired. Tired, slow, stale. Oh, try and kind of get it, brighten it up, push it up, get some, slug some coffee down, do something to get the energy shifted up to where it should be, you know. Sometimes it isn't. And what, so that can we actually, you know, rather than feel ourselves continuing conflict with these changing conditions, pay attention to them. Tiredness is like this. Grumpiness is like this. Mm. Feeling tatty is like this. Mm. Feeling happy is like this. Feeling welcome is like this. Feeling rejected is like this. This is so that we widen our perspectives paying attention, softening some of these, these unconscious pressures, the pushes, the, the reflexes that we don't even, we're not even doing, they're happening to us. We don't decide to do them, they just keep coming in from un, unknowing, from not knowing truth. Softening some of those, letting oneself be a little bigger, wider, looser, stranger, than, you know, coming outside the box, you might say. And recognizing, yeah, you know, I can be with this. Just get that first toe hold on it, you know, holding it in the body, being able to sit with it, stand with it, walk with it, without acting upon it, the first toe hold first, and then, starting to open one's heart to the suffering, the stress of trying to make oneself be something, have something, get rid of something. And with the kindness, the empathy, to see, stop doing that to yourself. Stop creating suffering for yourself. And another time when we finally allow ourselves to be with our Shadows and our strangeness and our painfulness. There's a meeting that takes place. A meeting that takes place. We meet the dark, the shadowy, the uncertain. And it makes us wiser and more compassionate. And something is resolved. Something is resolved.
Nepal is a social conditioning, we tend to become images. Mother, teacher, supporter, guide, whatever it is, the image that you find yourself gradually being moved into, even maybe attracted to. The reliable, the good guy, you know, the loyal, whatever it is, you know, find yourself attracted because it's not, it's, they're generally good images. And then as you start to, people will actually support you in being that. You know, to a certain extent, also probably challenge you in it. Mm-hmm. So you get this whole thing about having to be, you know, finding yourself trying to be in an image that you're not, you never really were anyway. You see the pressure of that. Even when they're, you know, they're good and they're worthy, the pressure of it. And also the, it's not necessary You don't have to be a good image because when you come out of it, not through repressing it or rebelling against it, but just by widening all the qualities of clarity, generosity, compassion are present in that wideness. It's just not so linear. It's not so routine. It's more spontaneous. It's not so created. It's not so artificial. I remember a friend of mine saying she was, when her father was passing away and then she felt this great sense of wanting to be the you know the daughter and her father and the loyal daughter and helping out and all this and she just kind of as often happens in these situations with you caring you you, you know you'd like to do but you're physically limited you, you just start to wear out you get tired you miss things you forget things maybe you're a bit irritable don't quite be perfect all the time. So this is the case. You know, and this friend of mine, and she father passed away, and she had this feeling that maybe she hadn't done well enough or good enough. Maybe she could have done a bit better. Maybe she'd have remembered that. Maybe if she had just not said that, maybe she should have done, you know, this kind of thing going on. And then she attended for you know, a certain time. She deliberately remembered her father and heard his voice, listened to his in her mind. And what he said was, "I didn't expect you to be perfect." And she realized he loved her, and she loved him. And that was always necessary. You don't have to get the functions perfect, get the conditions, those conditions perfect, to feel the sense of what really matters.
It's not that you've got to get everything done on time. You've got to be right and you've got to be able to continue unwavering mindfulness. You know, as a meditator, continual cheer and ready wit and the right answers and a clear understanding. Because beyond that, when you come out of that, you can be clear and wise in what really matters. It's been free from pressure, free from anxiety, free from positions, free from righteousness, free from trying to get it working. And in that freedom, all your potentials start to be able to come through. You find miraculously enough, you do. You know, find that you know more than you think you did. And your heart is is wider open than you than you would, than you thought it was. This is the way to to grow to really trusting in truth. Truth starts off with the humbling recognition of our distortions and biases, and the feeling them out, and feeling out what it's like to have that that sense of clarity and attention and compassion how do you feel it out? you feel it out not by thinking it or even emotionally reacting to it but first of all grounding yourself in your body, in your breathing getting a sense of something that can act as as a background, as a template a steadiness with from where you can, you can witness your sense of push and contraction and fluster and waver and drift and dream, you know, which is what we do when we meditate. <laughs> We've kind of got this background thing and then we proceed to do our stuff on it, you know, waver and drift and contract and tighten. And, you know, there you are, you're getting it very clear now. <laughs> so there's a little bit more is to be to be actually what really happens, you know? Look into it more more fully. First of all you can sense the happening of it as it ceases, as you come out of it. That's the first way we start to wake up. This is what it's like when the, the penny drops. And you go, Oh yeah. Right. It was just that, wasn't it? And then you start to get a sense of what of how it arises, a certain wobbling or holding or uh, wanting to find something, wanting to be something, wanting to get something. And then, and then, you, then the mind loses the sense of presence. It goes into time again. So just as a, a, a suggestion... You know, one of the things to to um, to bear in mind in what causes or what or where these origins of our of our suffering comes from is time. The time is not thing on a clock. Time is that is becoming the sense of the pressure in the nervous system to make, to do, to have, to get, to develop, to become, or to get away from something. So when we move in time, pretty soon you're going to find yourself tightening up, losing it, getting 
frustrated. There is a movement instead, I call it a movement in terms of space, which is not psychological space, you might say, it's energetic space, where our energies are more spread out, more balanced, they're not pushing forward, they're, they're embracing, it's an encompassing sense, it's a grounding sense, it's an awareness of what's around you, what's around your body, what's around your mind, it's an awareness like that. And then you can sense some of these kind of tendencies, these pushes, these pressures, these flusters, but they keep kind of coming to the surface as they're supposed to do and unraveling themselves. Sometimes they, they come to the surface, they run for a little while, then they unravel. Sometimes they run for quite a while. Sooner or later, when you have set up that intention for mindfulness, for presence, for here and nowness, sooner or later that message comes through and you wake up. The moment of waking up is a precious moment. Let it complete itself. Don't, Don't rush with it. Let it do the work of presenting and you witness the tail end of that fantasy, of that worry, of that concern. There she is, there he is. Just quality of kindness with that. This is the way that through kindness and spaciousness and compassion, we, we empty Emptying is not getting rid of. It's not dump the stuff. It is a sense of really seeing the ephemeral, transparent nature of what we take to be three-dimensional, solid, and me. It doesn't mean it doesn't have to happen. It means that what is seen, experienced as me and a tense and dense and really stuck in this and got to get this and never going to be that, comes out of that that density into something that's translucent and transparent. And it's it's afflictions pass away. We still manifest as persons and inclinations and impulses, but it's much lighter. And it can can pass. Okay, doesn't happen. Fair enough. Next thing. This is what it's been, the freedom. The freedom to be and the freedom to let go freedom to move, the freedom to be still. Paying attention, softening, widening, including it all. So let's have a few moments.